Welcome to It's About Perspective. I'm Chloe Carroll, and this is a podcast where we discuss monsters, elements of the monstrous, and argue about if they're even monsters at all. episode, Tanika Kuzman explored the ancient origins of werewolves. In this episode, Ankita Sahu discusses werewolves in popular culture. A warm hello and welcome to all our listeners. This is Ankita Sahu and you're listening to the It's About Perspective podcast. I'm a student in India and my life has been imbued with a mixed sense of cultural identity, which often puts me at crossroads of sorts. I thought that'd be good to mention since we'll be talking about a lot of identity formation today and that identities are usually complicated. What unifies me, however, with various cultures is my inherent love for food and the thirst to consume popular culture. And these have largely occupied my academic endeavors at Christ University, Delhi University and otherwise independently as well. I would just like to start off with a reminisce of sorts Many of us might have just experienced Halloween and we are already excited for Christmas, aren't we? In India, we've celebrated Dashera and are on the threshold to celebrate Diwali. It's really exciting, honestly. And one thing that I've found in common with many cultures and religions is that the end of the year is just jam-packed with events and festivities. And one trope that is so embedded and so common is the presence of folk tales and legends. And precisely within them, the existence of evil, magic mysteries, myths and monsters, and the predominant representation of the binary of the good versus evil, the trope of justice, and essentially the hero versus anti-hero, which has largely colored our popular culture. Historically, I think... The metaphorical Don Quixote in readers is what may have driven us to such a booming industry of comic book readership and viewership of comic-related visual narrative, where the representation of these fantastical worlds and the dystopia sort of amuses the audience. I mean, my brother just non-stop binged on the series Lucifer. But these narratives then include the predictable entry of the hero who saves the day even after a series of attacks that they may have endured, physical or emotional. Now, when I say hero, I mean across the gender spectrum, okay? Even though we don't have a major representation of all genders, but these heroes, whoever they may be, cater possessive emotions towards the cities that they are designated to protect. The curators of such narratives consume the readers into their fantastical worlds, where the reader may garner the same emotion that the protagonist and the characters around him depict. Very often, the anti-hero is also subject to sympathy or provided with a due character arc, which defines or subtly justifies the predicament 
along with the tales of despair and consequently justifies their reasons for following the current affiliation and the readers and the viewers kind of relate to this and we're going to see how and why this happens how are we so consumed if not related and why to this measure the representation of the identities of these characters and these fantastical worlds that we engross ourselves into become our center for engagement this is the space where relatability and reader response becomes integral especially to situate how we are analyzing lycanthropy and therianthropy in these dc marvel universes especially today like we're talking and this will happen through the lenses of a bit of psychoanalysis and a bit of postmodernism now trust me it is indeed interesting because we are going to set on a journey to understand how the identities of the werewolf and other therians are closely knit from the real to the real especially within the genre of popular culture okay for example each city in distress needs the high figure of the hero batman having risen to the pedestal of the loved vigilante acts as the escapist relief for the readers who are in threat in the real world which lacks security while the joker on the other hand embodies the inherent psychotic mania that unconsciously brews within each individual we will psychoanalytically analyze the human trait of violence and the urge towards the prevalence of crimes and finally question if the hero figures in these fantastical worlds pose invitations to supervillains if so who are the hero figures of these cities and have they invited supervillains for us today in the realm of lycanthropy the first and most stark image within the hero universe that i am reminded of is wolverine now don't come at me i know he's a mutant of course but he's also called wolverine and the nomenclature assigns the mind's archetype palace to a particular significant image and there are also other werewolves in the dc marvel universe like anthony romulus beast doctor occult but we'll get a bit more specific with wolverine and to continue the name of course isn't just the demarcator of wolverine's werewolf characteristics the most basic of his abilities range from regeneration known as the healing factor retractable claws bonded with the metal adamantium which in some versions is deemed as genetic but it also does hint at the idea of shape shifting right he is also characterized with animal keen senses and enhanced physical capabilities and who can forget the characteristic beard that he sports that brings him so close to the imagery of the werewolf that we inherently possess it does look good on him right and now that has got to be intentional too right in addition there are also accounts where the curators of wolverine chris claremont and len wein have described his features and intentions of portraying him as a character who occupies the liminal space of an evolved animal and a mutated human being wolverine is also known to have an innate connection with the animal kingdom and interacts with them at ease but he also possesses human like qualities at the same time now by establishing his identity so close to that of the werewolf i intend to bring focus to this space of in betweenness across the universe of the heroes and the antiheroes that i'm talking about and how their representation works in the worlds that they live in 
in doing so i will also talk about batman and the city that he lives in gotham because it is a great testament to the real time insecurities of the world and that the hero or the anti hero character while inherently possessive and connected deeply to their territories they are also flawed in nature their representation by curators would seem like a detachment from the real time but it's quite the opposite actually as venetia robertson in her work novo religio suggests quote in popular culture animal human shape shifting has been a ubiquitous theme comic book superheroes batman spiderman wolverine and other x-men whether by masquerade or mutation are paradigms of anthropozoomorphic power close quote to contextualize this now she has also stated that and i'll be largely quoting her or paraphrasing her much of the shape shifting lore that permeates western popular culture has its origins in the abundant theriantropic imagery of the medieval european fables and quoting bynum she also says that the literary paradigms featuring the sympathetic werewolf and the villainous werewolf which were popularized are really manifestations of a composite otherness which gave expressions to the anxieties about working class degeneracy colonial insurrection and racial avatism women's corporeality and sexuality and the bestial heritage of humanity now if we look closely at wolverine across many of his character arcs it is symbolic of the struggles and anxieties of the marginal and minority sections of the society these narratives are resplendent with social implications amidst the entire x-men trajectory of events which according to an article by orion martin includes open and close quote the founding of genosha a fictional country where mutants are enslaved a direct reference to apartheid a genocide of 16 million mutants the development of the cure for x gene mutations causing a schism in the mutant community the spread of legacy virus a disease that targeted only mutants the virus is a clear reference to the aids virus and its impact on the lgbtq community all of these references are not very far from reality they are in fact in reference to the reality further wolverine inherently according to his identity much like batman is seen occupying this liminal space between the hero and the anti-hero where he is the savior and the threat to law all at once they are not ruled by an ideal sense of justice but motive and emotion the identity of the therian within them takes precedence which also makes them dangerous in the eyes of the law so there are times that the agents of law and mandated justice in their worlds along with its insecurities and corruption within sometimes fail to understand the identities of our beloved batman and werewolf which lands them in trouble a lot of times had wolverine never been viewed as innately feral and bestial there would never have been mentions of tranquilizers to control him in the narratives but there are and captain america in an exclusive one of a kind context transforms into a werewolf issue captain america 405 in case you want to refer would have never been pitted against 
Wolverine, if the curators didn't wish to showcase that any of our beloved heroes lie in this space of corruptibility and that external agents may induce a slippage into their internal dark side. The constant drive to protect that they possess while making them extremely powerful also makes them extremely vulnerable to fallacies, which is the reason that the identities of their enemies, especially Sabretooth and Joker, also becomes extremely important. Their role is very integral. And you know why this happens? Let's look at this in the context of Batman, Harvey Dent, aka Two-Face and Joker as well, shall we? And I'll get back to Wolverine, don't worry. To explain this, there's a concept of the theories of postmodernism that I'd like you to keep at the back of your mind. And I'll make this, I'll try to make this extremely simplistic, okay? The theorist Baudrillard posits that Quote, we live in the constructed hyperreal world of simulations and excessive science that is the only real world we will ever know. We do not consume objects, but signs of that object. Close quote. The author Nair describes this as the theory of representation. In the discourse, he states the indistinguishable nature of the real and the copy that has come into being by providing instances of the 9-11 and 26-11 tragedies. He clarifies that the World Trade Center towers collapsing into rubble is an image that can only be accessed through movie representations, which is also now an imagined reality. It is documented and historically significant but it comes to the audience's grasps only through stories, pictures, movies, or audios, which is nothing but a series of signs. Open quote. The way we can only make sense of this 2611 Mumbai attack is through televised images that may seem to echo double parallel commando action films. Our knowledge of commando action on 2611 is based on a simulation of it that we have seen in films." Close quote. In the world of Batman's Gotham City, the events and crimes are, for the readers, only an imagined reality. To elaborate, all the imagination of the gadgets and mobiles along with the infrastructure in these graphic narratives, if and when invented for, physically to be experienced, the individuals are just going to live imagined realities yet again. If an incident similar to the tragedy that occurred in the virtual graphic world of Gotham was demonstrated in the real semiotic world outside of the virtual world of comics, then the citizens of that particular place would in literal terms experience simulacrum. This understanding erases the gap between the fantastical city of Gotham and the perceived realities of people. Kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? Coming back to the construction of identities, on similar lines, organized crime leads to the feeling of distrust and threat within the cities that people called home. For Batman, the Gotham city is his home. Any threat to Gotham becomes a threat to his emotional and cultural identity. As Roger states, open quote, 
batman in other words believes in gotham city more powerfully than any other gothamite close quote batman on unsuccessful endeavors is also subject to hatred from his citizens of gotham but in the real world there is no savior for the citizens to blame except for the government in power who holds the position of authority and the capability of protection especially in a democracy or the miscreants who have been suspected as criminals for a particular tragedy gotham so crime ridden cannot have batman's omnipresence he can only solve a certain amount of problems at a particular time hence he aspires for a city without crime a place he could belong to and call home however with the identity that has now been created for batman he wouldn't connect to the identity of batman if gotham was to be freed of all crime batman then wouldn't feel at home hence even bruce wayne wouldn't feel at home because they are so inherently connected bruce wouldn't feel the desire to stay at home freud has posited this idea of a death wish he explains it to be the inherent desire of humans to perish the human mind is attracted to the concept of death and hence violence also appeals to the audience and readership we have a batman because there are real world crimes like that in gotham the same applies for gamers you know they feed off their death wish by wreaking havoc in the virtual world of these heroes at the same time their repressed desire to represent themselves as the strong valiant hero which may not seem plausible in reality is also attained through batman he is the character that they aspire to become they become agents of peace and violence at the same time what's worth considering is how this then makes the identities of anti-heroes or villains so important how we view them and what is the value of the heroes without these villains vigilantes like batman and the speedster hero flash are mostly in their narratives portrayed to be extremely devoted to the city's safety they can go out to great lengths to protect their city and their loved ones the film lego batman is an animated motion picture film which is a cynical and a humorous representation of batman's proclamation to being void of emotions and satisfied with the life that he lives however by the end of the film he is confronted with this unavoidable feeling that he poses for the people living around him and not just that he has the same feeling for gotham and finally his nemesis joker as mentioned before the identity of batman exists because crime exists it is the injustice that propels batman and joker to orchestrate their theatrical mishaps which drives batman further into solving them creatively in the process of this rat and cat chase between batman and joker they have also given rise to various other criminals in their world like two-face or popularly known as havident the question here then is that even in the real world are these proclaimed heroes of the societies responsible for brewing villainy i mean we know the fate of the white knight of gotham harvey dent who became two-face harvey dent turning into a berserk two-face isn't fate and coincidence it brewed and blew out of proportion due to unfortunate circumstances as scott myers states 
after the loss of Rachel Harvidens wife he is enraged beyond limits at the same time he refuses reconstructive surgeries to cure himself perhaps this is an attempt to fuel his rage since Rachel's demise timed with his disfigurement as the injury would then serve as a reminder to her death which he couldn't avoid dent turning into two face serves as a metaphor for the world of politics and the shortcomings that tag along in nicholas both work how satan can out satan an insight into dent and wayne's lives have been stated in the dark night harvey dent is the ideal new commissioned district attorney both places this perspective by quoting these lines from the film here wayne opines quote harvey is that hero he did it without wearing a mask gotham needs a hero with a face close quote moreover bot mentions that dent is the proclaimed white knight of gotham he was this uncorruptible figure along with gordon before his life struck with a tragedy but if observed closely he wasn't corrupted into his maniac state immediately after the wreck as mayer rightly observed while harvey has all his anger roiling around it is the joker who provides the wisdom to point harvey down his path of revenge disunity and eventual death that's quite a transformation arc and as i say the most significant character evolution in the movie in the real world context a political representative of the people who's ideally white and determined towards justice as harvey may meet fates like him due to socio political discrepancies of the system for every harvey there is a joker that exists joker could be read as an external entity who has been manipulative in nature and triggered the criminal within the vulnerable fragment of the politically upheld hero mischievous acts like this may steer the honest and determined politician from their paths the system then becomes an entrapment since they hold the power and the system moves along with them so does the unending process of crime and insecurity in harvey's case he is solely driven into crimes just by selfish motives but for a world scenario the threat of losing power lends into masking of crimes hence underhand criminality booms furthermore the character of two face imbued with a determination beyond limits proves fatal in the case of harvey an individual in reality with such idealistic and determined stances to attain for the better for society on the flip side of the character will turn into the ideal troublemaker wouldn't you agree just to quote myers harvey is hell bent on achieving his goals as long as he's on the side of the law that's fine but if he ever goes to the dark side we can anticipate him carrying with him that same single minded purposefulness with negative ramifications in this process of joker's manipulating dent there is an overturn of heroes and villains where through dent's perspective gordon and batman along with a list of others bear responsibility for the death of rachel it was also because batman with his blurred sense of ideal to create a white knight unmasked hero for gotham couldn't have a clear sight of the threat of joker right in front of him he lived in the misconception 
and emotionally believe that Harbi is incorruptible. Look, I don't wish to insult or diss on the heroes. But my only point is that, much like any human, their identities are framed by their motive, cause and emotion. Especially for characters like Wolverine and his enemy Sabretooth. Their inner Therian, their alpha aggressive being, is what may make or break the trajectories of their life. Did you know that Wolverine and his clouded sense of judgment gave Sabretooth the adamantium bond that he didn't initially have. In doing so, he also made Sabretooth stronger, adding to his already extremely enlightened and intelligent characteristics. It also kind of made Sabretooth go even more berserk. Now, Wolverine having the immense power that he has and the knowledge that he has about his own body and powers is supposed to be responsible about them. But instead, he ends up losing the upper hand he had by allowing his inner lycanthrope to take over his mind. Good or bad, we don't know. Maybe it was a good thing. All we know that he is going to continue his fight forever until there's injustice, until there's insecurity. But on the flip side, Wolverine has also controlled his inherent feral nature by drawing a line before killing Sabretooth just because his love interest asked him to. He is in fact driven by emotion, isn't he? As we come to the end of the episode, I would just like to conclude by saying that identities, hero or not, are forever complicated. There is always an inner inkling that is ready to erupt within you. Perhaps you may be even surprised to find your inner Therian. But never forget to look at this space in between. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a fun time. Until next time, signing off. This is Ankita. Check out the links in the episode description to get in touch with Ankita. And tune in again for more on the werewolf. To get involved, email itsaboutperspectivepodcast at gmail.com.